Miracy. In some cases, I'm really writing the curriculum as we go based on how the students' material interacts with one another, how they receive one another, what they learn from one another, and what their ongoing developing need is. Welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches course creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eamy, founder and CEO at Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. In each episode of this show, we try to showcase a course and course creator who is doing something really interesting with their online course. Our guest today is Sarah Eisenberg. She is an expert in non-dual Kabbalistic healing and herbal medicine and teaches radical inclusion for professionals, activists, and seekers committed to race and gender justice. Sarah, welcome to Course Lab. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start at just the 30,000-foot picture Tell us, who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? I'm at a stage of life where I'm closing loops. One of the loops that I'm closing is an earlier career that ended with burnout as a community organizer and an activist. I took quite a right turn into the field of healing, got my herbal medicine degree, and spent 25 years studying and practicing non-dual healing. And Now I'm closing the loop, bringing the consciousness practices that I learned on my healing path back into the work of the issues of race and gender, which needs so much attention and and really a new kind of technology, because we haven't made a lot of progress using the tools that we have. Yeah, so tell me a little more about the story. What was the initial inclination of this is a loop to close? What, What steps did you take? What emerged from that? The loop that I needed to close really was following my own path of development and to show up in life in a different and more whole way. And the way that helped me to do that was practice. So for me, it's constantly taking the raw material of my life, looking for the lessons that it teaches me and opening up my consciousness to make a place for them in my life and to teach me what they have to teach. And I found them to be transformative tools for myself as well as for my clients and for the groups that I've worked with. When I combine this with my knowledge of systems, as I'm a little bit of a neuroscience freak and a little bit of an organizational development aficionado, so when I bring all of those skills together, it gives me a way of showing up and helping people to open up their own consciousness in a way that helps them to become more whole and take that wholeness into whatever part of their life they need to bring it. Awesome. So how did that lead to radical inclusion? And for those who may not know exactly what we're talking about, um, including maybe myself, uh, what exactly is radical inclusion? Radical inclusion is an approach to the inner work of race and gender. Who is it that we show up to be when we are confronted with a conversation a challenge to act, a challenge to show up, to have an opinion. So it gives us an opportunity to look at what we breathed in, what we were taught, what we absorbed from our culture in terms of the messages about skin color, about gender expression, about our appearances and our behaviors, the way we carry ourselves in the world, what's appropriate for 
for us to do or not to do. And we begin to bring those beliefs into awareness, come into relationship with them, and then begin to see the effects that those unexamined beliefs have had on us, on our behaviors, and then have had on other people in our lives. Why online as opposed to, you know, in person the way you had been? I was prepared to actually teach it face-to-face. I had seven workshops lined up in three different states when the pandemic hit, and they were all shut down within a week. That went away. And then I just began to offer the work online. I started by opening a a regular Wednesday online practice group, which I'm still doing, called Come As You Are, which started out as a place for people to really show up and just be with whatever was going on for them. I'm used to teaching online, and it's very suitable for this work because it's actually a very intimate medium. Zoom lends itself very, very well to this kind of work. One of the things that struck me Sarah, about how you're approaching this is that the course is not really driven by content per se. It's more about people sharing their experiences and perspectives. And that's innovative. It's it's different in terms of how people typically think about online courses. Normally, the mental model when we talk about online courses is, hey, what's your curriculum? What's your structure? What content? What types of content do you have? Yes, I think you really nailed that, Abe. The content of the course is really the lived experiences and memories of the students and what they bring. Uh, What I provide, my expertise, is providing a container that is safe for them to do this vulnerable work that is built on an environment of honesty and kindness that encourages people to go to a place of vulnerability. As one of my students said, to be vulnerable out loud what a relief it was to be in a place where where people could be vulnerable out loud with one another and go to places of honesty and receive one another with kindness. And so I'm taking them on a journey. I know the approximate sequence and some of the turns that it might take. And in some cases, I'm really writing the curriculum as we go based on how the students' material interacts with one another, how they receive one another, what they learn from one another, and what their ongoing developing need is. Can you speak a little bit to the the scalability dynamics? Like, how many students come into a course? How long does it run? What are you charging? How much of your time does it take to do this kind of on-the-fly facilitation and adaptation? Can you walk us through some of the math? Sure. A couple of courses I've taught in this past year on unconscious bias were four-week courses. They sold for $197. One class size was eight, one was 10. The max would have been 12. In terms of scalability, that is, is definitely something to be considered. For me, it's the level of transformation that I'm after with students to make a significant difference in their lives and in their being so they can make a significant difference in in the lives of the people that they touch. This is a high-touch work. It's small group. The power of everyone having an opportunity to speak and to listen and receive one another and build relationships in a small group like this is really the key. 
The next level of this is, which is under development now, is a three-month program, which will include actually more one-on-one time with me and will go for $775. So this is a personal and a business decision in terms of my investment in, in transformation. I think the place where it invites the most dedication for me is in continuing to do my own work. I continue to develop with the students. I learn from them with every class. I learn more about the different ways that it's possible to show up and experience life at the boundaries of skin color and gender expression. So I have to continue to do my own work. The systems that we each have inside of us that process that carry our worldview and guide the way that we walk through the world are the inner equivalents of the structural racism and misogyny that we see in the world. So radical inclusion helps us to deconstruct and to come into awareness, to come into relationship with these inner structures uh, that we have. So I am constantly doing that. Um, doing my work as a white woman, an aging Jewish woman, married to a white man, benefiting from white privilege and continuing to uncover and come into relationship in new ways with things I didn't realize that I was missing. I guess one thing I'm wondering about is with such a kind of deep transformational course and and it's a topic that people don't come to you in the same way that you would most courses, right? People come to a course on watercolor painting because they want to paint or they used to paint and they've, you know, lost track of it and want to get back into that for fun. This course doesn't have that type of, oh, just take it because it's fun or take it because you have this like immediate pain point you need to solve in your life or in your business. How, have you found the right people to take it? And and how do you enroll people in a course that is sort of an under the radar topic where it's important for everyone, but most people don't have like a burning need to take it tomorrow, right? How are you getting people excited about wanting to get into this topic with you? There are definite pain points for people in this arena. That's why the, the primary audience is for people who already have a commitment to race and gender justice. So these are people who are paying attention to what's going on in the world. They're struggling with the language to use, particularly around gender expression. The language is as fluid as the presentation and changing all of the time. Uh, Some of the same is true around race issues. The use of language is very important. The the way that the cancel culture is playing out is a a huge issue. The issues of police brutality and violence and the deaths of Black people and traffic stops. And, you know, people who are committed to race and gender justice are, are reading about this and trying to figure out what part can we play in resolving this? Sarah, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the culture that you create in the Zoom call group environments, because it's not a typical Zoom experience, if I'm gathering correctly from what you've shared. 
in that it's a very safe, intimate space in which people are willing to be vulnerable and honest about things that they often aren't. How do you create that? It begins um, with the way that we start each session. So I lead people through settling into their physical bodies and their systems to noticing sensations in their bodies, noticing the emotions, the feelings that they're having, the thoughts that might be going through their minds, their breathing, just really situating them in their physical bodies and in their physical space. And once we've spent a few moments doing that, I do that through prompts. Uh, and then I have everyone bring their awareness to the screen and to looking at the little rectangles and to welcome one another in with a real sense of hospitality. It's very intimate. If we were in a physical space, for people to connect this way at the beginning of each session might be almost too intimate. But there's something about the screen that gives this great power and safety, in a sense. And then from there, I will introduce a theme for the evening. A common theme in this work would be belonging and exclusion. And through a series of practices that unfolds over the weeks uh, with different prompts, we'll take people through this territory so that it brings into their mind the beliefs, things that they've learned, the stories that they carry, their sort of origin stories of how did I first learn what it meant to belong? What did that cost me? What were the benefits that I got from accepting that deal, so to speak, which we all do when we're children before we have anywhere near the consciousness to make those choices. So this is going back and and it's often raising a series of questions. It's sitting with the questions and letting the questions teach us much more than getting to the answers. That's great. Thank you. I don't think I had anything else. Um, I don't know if you did, Danny. Uh, no, that's all I've got as well. Sarah, that was great. Thank you. All right, Abe, do you want to do the readout? Yes. Sarah Eisenberg is an expert in non-dual Kabbalistic healing and herbal medicine and teaches radical inclusion for professionals, activists, and seekers committed to race and gender justice. You can find her at alifeofpractice.com. That's alifeofpractice.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best insights and practical takeaways for you to take and apply to your own course. Abe, let's get into the debrief. What jumped out to you about the architecture of the course? So one of the things that was really fascinating to me about Sarah's program is the way that it is conceived as an experience rather than essentially structured content or content delivery, which is whether implicitly or explicitly the starting point for how most courses get designed. And I think it raises a really interesting perspective, which like most courses are going to have at least some content, but a really valuable question that anyone listening could, could ask about a course that you're designing or redesigning would be, what would this course look like if it didn't have any content at all? 
And I think that asking that question services a, a lot of really important directions to explore. It forces you to think about how am I interacting with my participants and supporting them? What am I doing to get them to reflect deeply and to integrate ideas as, as opposed to just passively consuming information? And so even though most courses will have some or very in-depth content, taking the perspective that Sarah uses in her work of really focusing on the participant's experience over content can surface many new possibilities for course design. Well, I think it speaks to the conversation that we've had on numerous episodes of the show in terms of the label of online course being very confining. People think videos in a membership site. And I like the banner of transformative learning journey instead. And essentially what we encourage people to do in designing and creating their courses is that particularly if you're a coach, if you're a, a facilitative expert of some kind, right? You, what you do as a facilitative process is the function of the course is to think about what are the things that I would be saying to every one of my participants and explaining to every one of my students. And so the course can absolutely be about the process. It kind of becomes the container for what's going to come forth from the participants that then engineers the transformation. You know, it kind of dovetails into the conversation about the, the business model math, what she charges and, and what it costs and the time it takes and so forth. But I thought that was a really interesting distinction because this is clearly um, a passion project, a labor of love for Sarah. She's not doing it for the money. And I align with that a lot. I believe that business in general is not about making money. It's about making the impact that you care about making sustainably. And of course, profitability is part of sustainability. And what you see here is a transformative learning journey that if you were to do it in person in small group format, it wouldn't be so sustainable because the amount of time and energy that goes into doing it for what you could realistically charge, the math just becomes problematic. You end up putting in huge amounts of time for not much more than minimum wage returns, which is unfortunately very common in the, the nonprofit and community development type sectors. But what Sarah has done very elegantly, I think, is streamlined and supported and added a little bit of scalability to this process that she was going to do anyway, right? Back of the napkin math, if she's got, let's say, 10 people at $200 each, that's $2,000. It's two hours a week for four weeks. That's eight hours of her time plus some extra time. We're looking at $200 an hour-ish, which is really good. It's a really good step up. And even if her model isn't scalable to the tune of thousands of people, although arguably it could be with cell division and bringing in other coaches who she could more than afford to pay at these rates, et cetera, the scalability and the sustainability all of a sudden work. And I, I think that's a really interesting lens through which to look at this, right? Something that I tell my students all the time is that the idea of, well, I want to stop trading time for money is nonsense, right? You're always trading time for money. The name of the game is to trade less time for more money. And Sarah's done a really good job of leveraging the infrastructure of a course to allow her to do that, which makes it sustainable for her to affect the transformation, continue to do the work that she really cares about doing. Yeah. A common theme in creativity research is that good ideas and, and new innovations don't necessarily come from just having a brilliant person sitting in the room thinking up new ideas or even applying some you know, perfect step-by-step -step process but often from just combining ideas from disparate domains. 
So something that was very interesting about Sarah's approach was how she combined ideas and, and approaches that might never have been otherwise brought together. So to address these challenging topics of inclusion and unconscious bias, she turned to consciousness practices and even the Jewish tradition of Kabbalah, which is more of like a mystical uh, tradition. And bringing that type of ancient teaching into contemporary challenges around inclusion allowed her to create a completely new framework for facilitating this course that allows her to help people achieve the transformation in a whole new way. Cool. And that's, that's all I've got. Um, I think it was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it's definitely different, uh, for sure. It's really not like any of the other courses we talked about. All right. Do you want to do the readout? Yes. Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder of Rizuku, here with Danny Eni, CEO and founder of Mercy. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb, BC Lance, and Jeff Gobertson assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer. Big thanks to Sarah Eisenberg for taking the time to share her successes and challenges regarding her course. You can find out more about her classes at alifeofpractice.com. That's alifeofpractice.com. Don't forget to tune into Mercy's podcast, Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels. That's a great frame. That's a a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know, either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's, you know, the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. So while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah. Because We're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's, you know, societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show 
is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively. And we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. Why are you stopping the recording? This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.